can't tell you where your three astronauts are. Well, they're still in orbit. But they came down in the capsule. They were here. I saw them. No, you saw three spacesuits. I don't know what came down in Recovery 7, but it certainly wasn't human. Welcome to episode 23 of First Strike the Invasion podcast, the podcast that looks at DC uh, Comics' uh, big crossover from 1988, Invasion, uh, and uh, all its tie-ins. And now we're in the second part of it. With me, as usual, is Bass. Hello! I'm Siskoid. We're going into the aftermath, and we're looking at Checkmate number 12. I'm, I'm waiting for the cheers at home. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned, whether or not you're a Checkmate fan... We are going to uh, do something special mm-hmm. with the second part of this episode. Usually we say, you know, what we think of whatever property we're looking at, but we already did that. Yeah. Checkmate was one of our first episodes at Checkmate number 11. So uh, we've talked about Checkmate already and we didn't have a whole lot to say. I really wasn't reading it. It was a new format book, which was not available to me at the time. And uh, I've only read, you know, a few issues here and there. So what we'll do instead is look at some of the books that were not participating in Invasion, but maybe should have. We'll do that after we talk about this issue and take a break. And for right now, we're doing Checkmate number 12. So, uh, this one's called Night Launch. It is by writer Paul Kupperberg, artist Steve Irwin, inker Al Vey, letterer John Costanza, colorist Juliana Ferreter, and editor Jonathan Peterson. Uh, and uh, in it, Checkmate will go to space. So, let's start with the cover, uh, which shows a knight, a Checkmate knight, in a spacesuit, upside down, in orbit, behind her. We don't realize this now, but behind the night is uh, the moon and all those uh, funny uh, Kund U-ships yeah. leaving the system. So what do we think of this cover? Uh, I kind of like it. I, I, I kind of dig it. I'm, I'm just not sure why this knight is pointing uh, what I think <laughs> is a us. gun at us. What seems to be incredible fear, but then again... She is, well, she's a she, by the way. Uh, we we'll don't find know. out. Yeah, we yeah. don't know in the cover. We don't know by the cover, but uh, she's a she, and she's, I don't know, free-falling or... Free-floating. St- free-floating. Well, they, if they're still in orbit... Yeah. It doesn't happen in the issue. There, there's no now, pulling is, guns out in, in space. We see U-boats either, well, U-ships, either coming from or going towards what seems to be the other side of the moon... Gargax's territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically it. Composition-wise, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I like it. It's fun. The colors are nice. Complementary colors. Uh, the figure is front and center, close up. I like it. I, I more than like it. I think I, I love this one. No, it doesn't actually happen, but it's a nice tease for yeah. whatever is going to happen between uh, you know Checkmate and the aliens. Because it's still, even though it's the aftermath... So we can presume the ships are leaving. There's another threat because the knight is not pointing uh, her gun at uh, the U-ships, but at us, the reader, or whatever threat she sees coming. It's all a big red herring. Mm-hmm. But it's still a re- really cool cover that gets you, know, gets you uh, invested right away because you're part of the image through the interaction with uh, the knight's eyes. Very much so. All right, let, let's open this uh, sucker up. What we must realize now is that and the invasion is essentially over. Yeah. The superheroes have routed the, uh, the the aliens off Earth. And we're in the epilogue, it seems. Although there is another issue of invasion to come, so the action's not over. If I start with a little synopsis, we learn here that during the invasion, Alliance forces attacked Earth's space program facilities, including Cape Canaveral. Uh, but one shuttle, at least, survived. The Atlantis. Uh, in the final days of the invasion, because this isn't quite, it's not quite over. Uh, in the final days of the invasion, a mission is being prepared to put a defense satellite in orbit to help track and defeat the aliens. In nearby Daytona Beach, a female checkmate knight whose real name may or may not be Connie Webb is trying to apprehend industrial spies who are soon shot by a third party in a drive-by. That evening, she learns the thieves had gotten hold of a NASA navigation system designed for interplanetary flight which really isn't on the books at NASA for at least a couple years, so it's odd. Tracking down that lead, Connie poses as an astronaut, replacing a sick mission member. Her team includes mission commander Ben Rogers, pilot Ray Allen, standoffish mission specialist Naomi Crenshaw, and engineer Dick Guillardi. At least one of them is a traitor, though. Someone's been talking with a dominator above, 
and then Connie is almost killed in a training accident. Now, on the eve of the mission, she puts on her night uniform and goes snooping in crew quarters and finds calculations to take the shuttle out of Earth's orbit. She's surprised by Gallardi, who bolts. She's delayed by security before she can catch up to him, and he makes it aboard the shuttle with a piece of equipment. She eventually does catch up to him, but he falls to his death down to the platform before revealing any secrets. Just then, the rest of the crew arrives, sent on this vital mission, even though one of them has just died and Connie has, to them, disappeared. Of course, we know she's hiding aboard the shuttle, having decided to stay to make sure the mission goes off without a hitch. In Earth's orbit, Commander Rogers pulls a gun on Alan and Crenshaw and reveals he was working with Gollardi to rendezvous with the aliens who have promised them sweet alien technology that would advance the space program like nobody's business. Connie intervenes. A thwamming Rogers unconscious, the rest of the crew tries to complete the mission, but the satellite won't release, so Connie does an EVA to unjam it. Except it may not be necessary, the alien fleet is leaving. When you think it's all over, an alien spacecraft approaches Earth and drops a bomb that promptly explodes, polarizing that last panel of the issue. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. And this is something we'll see a lot of uh, over the next few issues. And Connie had just... A quarter staff to defend herself, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Generally, what did what, what did you think of this uh, story? Well, you know what? Like in the last story from Checkmate, there's a lot of action, a lot of hand-to-hand stuff, uh, a lot of covert stuff. I kind of like that. This is another night. It's not the same guy. Yeah, as the they, last they one. keep switching nights. Well, I really don't know much about Checkmate, but I'm thinking probably we have this core of nights where we probably have like four or five that we follow in their adventures. This one I like. I like her. She's a, a lady knight. And uh, I must admit there are a lot of butt shots in this. It, it kind of reads like a Nightwing comic. All we see of is there's a lot of her butt in this, which is fine. It's like Nightwing. She has this great butt. But, you know, everything about Checkmate, maybe it's because Nightwing became Agent A sort Summer. of spy, yeah. And, and maybe that's why I'm always bringing it back to that. But, they all move kind of like Nightwing. They're all athletic. They oh, jump yeah, a lot. Yeah. That they, was something you brought up in the, the yeah. previous issue. They jump from high up. They seem very acrobatic. Maybe it's the quarterstaff also or the kind of weapons they do use. You know, there's a lot of hand-to-hand. They don't talk as much, but you can see that there there's this, this hand-to-hand confidence where, you know, they can take on two, three people and, you know. Yeah, I think that her um, physical movement, even when she's not being a knight, is very, like, that relaxed and comfortable. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's almost something, um, an aloofness, yeah, where the, the character is confident and is a little blasé, uh, in a sense, where this is this is a job and she does the job. And, uh, you know, when Big she's... And, and she's really got the stuff because uh, she can do the science, she can do the piloting, she well, can, she actually, can work yeah. on a space shuttle. She just by looking at the plans, because she stumbles on these uh, plans to to take uh, a shuttle out of orbit. Mm-hmm. To take a shuttle out of orbit, you have to understand how you do it, and and you can't just you know you can't you have to uh, get to what they call escape velocity, which is if I'm basing myself on uh, flashbacks, that's Mach three. If, <laughs> if if they're still good, it's, it's, but I mean it's, it's the same like universe because yeah, yeah <laughs> it's gotta you, be. You have to go around the Earth, and you're still into orbit. You're still in orbit, and to to lose or to get out of orbit, which is very dangerous, because most of the stuff we we put into orbit, we know it's going to stay in orbit. We have a, a continuous a speed, and basically, it's like uh, imagine gravity as a string, and you're you're you have this ball on a string, and you're just twirling it around. We know how quick it has to go to just stay in orbit. Right. So that's how staying in orbit works. So just looking at calculations and seeing that we're trying to find how to get out of orbit, she's a smart lady. Yeah, and I think the the issue is particularly well researched, especially oh, yeah. the art. I will say uh, because I'm a space program junkie, uh, yeah. especially the old stuff. I like the Apollo missions and all that. In this case, I, I'm looking at the interiors, uh, you know, the platform and the. Mm-hmm. Um, the interiors of the space shuttle, and it looks very, very well researched, like good photo oh, yeah. reference, uh, well designed. What, what isn't so real, I'll say there's just one thing that doesn't quite make sense, is the fact that you could replace, a mission member is uh, is unavailable, and you replace them with an outsider. Yeah. 
and then when somebody dies uh, and another one disappears, they, they still don't have any backups. In reality, yeah. all these missions have backups, uh, and you're training side-by-side side multiple crews yeah. so that if anything happens to one crew, another crew can go. Yeah. And if you lose a member, they're not going to send you with a, a replacement. They're going to send the backup crew. Yeah. <laughs> is usually well, what would happen. We can kind of Because they're guess. Here working together. You know? Yeah, exactly. But we can kind of guess that it's because of the invasion. Yeah, this is they, a... they probably lost personnel. We saw, we see in the opening prologue an attack on NASA. And you see like, oh, yeah. you know, it's just every building. They're blowing up rockets on the, on the platform. Several rockets. A lot of facilities. So we're led to believe that the Atlantis is the only spacecraft that's ready to go and Basically, the United States, at least, probably this is be, be happening in Russia. Yeah. And Russia makes more sense uh, that it would be happening there because we saw like major attacks yeah. across the uh, Soviet homeland. Uh, but they've crippled Earth's ability to send things into space. Exactly. And they, they actually they, they say that in this issue mm-hmm. that the only people, basically, the only people who can get into space are superheroes. Yeah. You know, ordinary people can't get into space right now. And I'm wondering, in that first attack on the first page, I don't quite know whose ships those are. Like, because the, the one weird thing is that we saw where the hotspots were, where the attacks yeah. were. Australia, obviously. Uh, the, the Soviet Union, China, uh, the South Pacific, the Arctic, Cuba. Mm-hmm. But there, there's no real mention of any attacks on uh, the U.S. On the, like this all happened and we were never told, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, which is a, a continuity problem. But I like that Checkmate is working in areas where the superheroes aren't. Yeah, uh, because it was London, uh, England in the previous issue, and here it's the U.S. Yeah. So it, it's at least interesting, and I think this makes complete sense as far as as the strategy goes. It's a bit discontinuous. Like, the Daily Planet didn't report on it. Yeah, exactly. But it, this is all supposed to be kind of, I guess, covert or, mm-hmm. you know, hidden or something. But it, the the only time we hear about people, or almost the only time, we, we did hear about it a little bit in the first invasion. Uh, this is the only time we, re- we really hear about people being on the side of the alien alliance. Checkmate was... Yeah, and there, there was, like, the, those terrorists that yeah. were being... They were pro alien alliance. Yeah. They were they wanted us to give the superheroes and you know live under I guess these alien laws or whatever. And this is still kind of the same thing over here where we have people who I guess were in contact with the aliens and said, "Yeah, we'll, you know, we'll 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 exchange uh these superheroes or whatever for technology." So they, we haven't heard about these people. Yeah, checkmate checkmate is Doing yeah. that all by its own. Well, it's only two issues, though. It's kind of you know, it's kind of thin. It's a, it feels like an an important or interesting plot line, but you know, it's two issues. We don't really hear about anything else. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you can't do a whole you know. No, but that could have been a whole big a bigger thread. It could have been uh, yeah, could have been one of those things yeah. where you know you you get uh, I don't know Amanda Water involved in you know controlling these types of things or whatever. Generally, I think the Suicide Squad was not featured enough. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they only have one tie-in, and we'll get to it later um, this year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Checkmate is basically like the human face of this whole thing, where yeah. the characters that don't really work with superheroes. I mean, the knights and all that basically wear superhero outfits. And oh, yeah. Could, they have cool outfits. And I'm pretty sure if any if any knight is ever seen in public, people think, oh, that's a superhero. I'm not sure what his name is. Yeah. Or the knight. It's obviously uh, different people because the female one here is obviously has a different shape. You, know, you could hide in plain sight as a sort of superhero and people wouldn't question it, wouldn't think this is a covert org- organization like the CIA. or Exactly. That all makes sense. So yeah, as far as the how realistic it is and how well it fits into you know the larger invasion narrative, you know we've covered that. What about that final panel? Because uh, we're, we're going to have to talk about it at some point, and I feel like we're almost spoiling it for people you know following along. I don't know, I don't know how you're listening to these, but the the final polarization, yeah, of the bomb blowing up, yeah, cause... And, and this we're supposed to understand here that. There's like this lone dominator, little spot, as you call them. Little, little spot, yeah. It, it's kind of hard to get because every ship is just going towards the moon. Right. Except for this one ship who kind of 
kind of comes in from hyperspace or something. He looks like he's coming in really, really fast. And uh, he drops a bomb. We'll come to know it as the gene bomb. Yeah. Let me blow the... Uh... The surprise right now. Well, it's, I mean, it's going to be in every issue. And, and at the end of every issue in Aftermath, this is the start of it, the gene bomb explodes. Yeah. In the atmosphere, you know, it, at, wherever it explodes, we see all the characters are polarized. So they're on a, uh, like, uh, every, everything that would be white is black and black, more or less. Basically, it's a, it's a whitewash with only some shadow. Uh, and that's a flash of the gene bomb. So yeah. what effect will the gene bomb have? We'll keep that for Invasion number three, basically. Yeah, we don't know right now. So all of these issues are leading us up to that moment. All the issues in Aftermath will end with the bomb blowing yeah, up. This is kind of a cool thing because uh, basically it's it's resetting the timer for everything. So everything in Aftermath basically is happening at the same time. We, we're, we're kind of confused sometimes when we're asking, like, when is this going on? Is it going on here at the same time as there? Uh, why is all of a sudden... You know, Guy Gardner in this issue and in that issue, and we don't really know what the time frame is or the timeline is. Right. In this one, the timeline, they all end at the same time. So basically, we're setting the clock for Invasion number three. So I kind of, I think it's yeah. cool. And I think it's cool. All the tie-ins won't be exactly, like, won't all start with the very end of Invasion number two. Like mm -hmm. this one... The U.S. basically thinks the invasion is still going on, yeah. and they get the news that it's basically while the the ship is in space, they see that you know it's ending. So the, there, there's going to be a little a little flexibility there as yeah. to when exactly all this is happening. Some of it perhaps during uh, mm -hmm. invasion number two. Well, that's what I think. But it's on. all going to end there. Yeah. Boom. Exactly. We know when it ends. We're all at the same place. But the timeline for this issue could be. Uh, overlapping the last checkmate issue, we don't really know. Yeah, yeah, that's you right. Know. Because they're, they're, you know, they're two uh, completely separate stories. Exactly across and the world. Technically, we start off this issue with during the invasion. So if I was to strategize and I was an alien, one of the first strikes would be, you know, hitting these uh, facilities where yeah. humans can go into space. Right. So ports, basically. So yeah. uh, you want to cripple. It's it's uh, it's Pearl Harbor. Yeah, you want to cripple. Places from where attacks can be launched. Right? Exactly. So this issue could be overlapping with the last checkmate issue, and or could be even going on almost at the same time, because we don't really know. Honestly, we don't really we we know it's going on during the invasion, which is awesome. But what I really like is that we all end at that same exact moment. So that's that's pretty cool. I must say I'm sort of uh, disappointed with what happens in the next issue. Kind of oh, looked yeah. ahead to number thirteen because I, you know, it ends with these guys in a space shuttle. Does anything happen next? And uh, you do see at the very, <laughs> it's like at the end of that issue of the next issue. It's they, they wait for the end. Connie crash lands the shuttle into a tropical lagoon on a resort beach, uh, but there's no real lead up to it, and we don't know why she's piloting or where Ray Allen, the pilot. It's completely missing. I know. It's like we're missing a chunk. And I even went through Invasion number three. Like, is it, do we go to Invasion number three and then to Checkmate number 13? And then somehow there's a little space shuttle bit. But um, maybe I was flipping through fast, but uh, I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see anything also. So there, there's a discrepancy between issues, which is really odd. I don't know. Checkmate doesn't participate enough. And, and that's the yeah. success of this issue is that I want, and I, I like the first one as well. Yeah. I like these knights, and I would like to follow them more, well, and I, I'd like to like follow Connie specifically. Yeah, well, yeah, she's awesome. I, I maybe it's because I also read number thirteen, mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't really like that knight. I liked the first guy. It was the, the, the British Squad type guy. Yeah, yeah I kind of liked him. He had this flair to him, and and I really I really dug Connie. She was awesome. She was right in there. But this new guy was like this. Southern Florida type guy. I don't know. He's, he's just not doing it for me. And we basically just go out of this. We, we just stop talking about the human aspect or the, the human revolt uh, towards the superheroes. Because this is, they're the only ones who deal with that. As soon as invasion is over, there's that loose end with the shuttle in space. But they might have, they might have not shown anything at all. We don't need to see the shuttle land we can just presume it yeah. and the way that both the issues that we covered are laid out it's a little bit like checkmate is an anthology series and so every mm -hmm. issue 
every little story arc, we're following a different knight and possibly a different bishop and, and their own adventure or their own mission. And it's spotlighting different missions across the world. And maybe that's just showing how Checkmate is like a like a yeah, yeah, I get uh, large web of agents. And we don't really see Connie again or whoever. Well, that's so, that's very sad because I I, I kind of I liked Connie. I liked the first guy. I don't remember his name. It's been too long. Nigel but, or something. Ni- yeah, or uh, Nigel or Nigel was his buddy or whatever. But I'd like to see them again. I mean, you you can't have well, maybe you can have like thirteen hundred knights, but it it'd be nice to see you know just four or five knights, and, and we see these guys more than once. I mean, it's it kind of feels like. If we didn't really follow James Bond along, we just followed like, you know, 001 and then 002 and then 003. Mm-hmm. But if you like 003, why can't we see him again? I mean, I like 006 and, you know, he died because he was played by Sean Bean. For England, James? No. But, you know, I... Sean Bean had to die. He had to die. But, I, I mean, you know, you, you want to see some of these agents that you kind of like. A little bit of uh, behind the scenes. We're recording this on Free Comic Book Day. Yeah. And this morning, because we're recording in the afternoon, this morning we crossed paths at our favorite comic book store. How could we not? We didn't go together. We just happened to be there at the same time. Yeah. And um, uh, you told me you were sort of intrigued that what if you could find... The entirety of New Guardians. Yeah. Like just a bundle of the whole New Guardians issue. Because we've talked about New Guardians on the show. Yeah. And it seemed more intriguing than it first appeared. Yeah. Even if it turns out to be not to be so great. Yeah, it's kind of clumsy, but I'm, I'm still intrigued. And those issues would be pretty cheap, I, I'd wager. <laughs> yeah. For me, that's Checkmate. Like, I, I don't want to find all the, the New Guardians or whatever. But I'd be, you know, after these two issues, I'm like, yeah. I think I'm possibly when I was uh, when those came out when I was 16 or whatever that really real world mm-hmm. spy thriller thing didn't much interest me but today I, I think that'd be more my uh, speed I like the very human aspect of the DC universe yeah so uh, th- this is like a series I'd um, very cheaply collect today well you know what I think all of us older... that may be my invasion aftermath <laughs> it might be. But you know what? I think we're all intrigued by that. Just by the way, the movies, I'm not going to go praise any uh, DC movies. But there is this aspect of how the human people, just ordinary people, react to Superman. Or react to the Bat. Or, you know, react to everything. And we seem to be looking at it from all types of different, you know, from all sides in the movies. But very briefly, you know, you have these people who... Worship them like gods, and we have these people who do not trust them. But Checkmate was looking at that, and still we didn't really we didn't really go into it. We kind of just always stayed in in the surface. And I'm I'm wondering why, because we had the we had the vehicle to check that out. Yeah, and and I've always liked those kinds of series. Yeah, Chase and uh, Chronos, and there's always been like just like exploring the DC universe from different angles, kind of books. That I've liked. Obviously, the great work in this genre would be uh, Astro City, where you're, you're always kind of looking at it from yeah. a humanish perspective, or what if the real world had this in it yeah. kind of idea. Checkmate doesn't quite go there because it's got its own hyper action yeah. element. But uh, but yeah, this is like a series that I would, um, based on these two issues, this is a series that I would now want to read. Yeah, I, and, and so uh, I agree. I might. I hope you will. I hope you will. And then tell me about it. <laughs> I'm gonna, all going to keep it to myself, as usual. <laughs> Any last thoughts before we uh, move on? You know what? I kind of like your thing on it. I really like Checkmate. I, I want to know more about it. Uh, as I read number 13, I'm, I'm really not sure. Because if we're going just from one night to another, I am not going to be intrigued. I'm not going to want to read another night's adventure. I want to see some of the guys I liked before. But... Up to this point, I mean, it's up to number 13 or number 12 where we're at. I kind of want to see, like, uh, number 1 to number 10. I'd like to read that. I kind of like the anti-superhero human aspect where Checkmate is dealing with or countering these humans who do not like superheroes. In these two issues. In these two issues. But, I mean, it could be something like that for, you know, 
bigger things. I know their first story was in an action comics, which I, I'd read, uh, and they went against terrorists okay. from uh, Kurak, of course. And and there are recurring characters. Uh, there's okay. like a sort of superheroine called Blackthorn who makes her debut soon after this. Um, you know, Harry Stein and a, a Bullock from uh, the Batman comics actually becomes a member of the okay of the team of the support team. Or I think like in the hierarchy there are recurring characters, but I think then the knights are always different guys, which is interesting. But you do need to be able to follow, yeah. I think, characters to really get invested, especially on a multi-issue level. They seem like the first strike force for some missions. And then if they can't get it done, then you call in Task Force X or the Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? Yeah, that, that, there is in their future, uh, not too far from this, there's a, and those were the only issues I had, what, there was a crossover between the various covert comics. Yeah. So uh, Suicide Squad, Checkmate, and Captain Adam all crossed over into uh, the Janus Directive, which was like a, a story arc across several issues, which really put the knights into superhero situations. Uh, and uh, there's a big conspiracy trying to unravel the different covert groups. So there are like wider arcs like that, you know, later on. I, I've got to reread it. I've got to, I've got to, you know, read the ones I have, but find the ones I don't. We might have discovered a hidden gem or... <laughs> I think so. We might be giving, uh, you know, too much credit to it based on two issues that I actually really did work, perhaps in isolation. I hope to find out. Uh, we'll come back after the, this uh, short break, and we'll talk about books not participating in the invasion. Stay tuned. Welcome to Astro City, a Pulp to Pixel podcast. An issue-by-issue issue ratings Black and Bear. review of the creator-owned comic book series Astro City by the writer-artist team of Kurt Fusick, Brent Anderson, and Alex Ross. You can find episodes of Welcome to Astro City and other Pulp to Pixel podcasts at pulptopixel.blogspot.com, pulptopixel.tumblr.com, through the iTunes store under the Pulp to Pixel podcasts, and through Facebook at the Pulp to Pixel podcast webpage. So we're back, and we're talking about books not participating in Invasion. I'll call this part one. We'll do this twice uh, yeah. over the next year. Part one, street level. Mm -hmm. Because where are Batman, Green Arrow, John Constantine, and the question? Where are they? Okay, so what we did, not counting books outside DC continuity or miniseries, which, you know, would not have crossed over, uh, but also giving a pass to books that are not within their first three issues of publication. So Sandman, Mr. Miracle, Dr. Fate are way too early. Okay. I mean, you're just setting yourself up. You're not going to be in Invasion at the same time. We're not going to ask writers to do that. So we've decided to talk about these four books... A Batman, Green Arrow, Hellblazer, in question. All of them street-level heroes. All of them solo heroes. All of them kind of in the shadows of the DC Universe. Uh, and next time we do this, we'll talk about team books that skipped out of the invasion. So, uh, let's look. Where were these characters at this time, and why didn't they participate in invasion, basically? Well, uh, we kind of know where Batman is. Yeah, Batman is in... right. Well, we saw Batman in Detective Comics. Yeah. Did not want to participate. Uh, we've we've talked about this frequently. We've but... seen him once or twice, and he was in the Invasion number two book, but he only asked one question. Yeah, it's very, basically that's his only thing. Uh, he did. Very very, and basically whining about you know not wanting to participate. We street level heroes should not be putting ourselves in danger. I don't. I don't agree with that. It was basically it was uh, Denny O'Neill uh, as editor uh, w put his foot down and did, was not interested in participating in in that with his, the Batman character. But Batman itself, the book, did not cross over. And this, we already talked about why. We won't spend too much time on this. They were in the middle of death in the family when yeah. Invasion broke out. This was a very important storyline in which the second Robin... Jason Todd. Jason Todd dies. See so, how he was liked? You kind of forgot his name. <laughs> yeah, but um, he he died, but not in any... You know, I, he died because readers phoned in yeah, to kill him. And it was very, very <laughs> tight. Uh, yeah, there was a vote. You, I mean, yeah. you could call one number for yes and one, one for no. Uh, our own Rob Kelly here at the network uh, has reportedly called in and called in for the death of Jason Todd. Wow. He's admitted wow. to this. Well, a lot of people <laughs> would be uh, probably, they're probably upset that Jason Todd did not really die. Well, he did, but he came back yeah. uh, through the... Some people would be upset he came back. 
Yeah, but they shouldn't because Jason Todd actually became, in my opinion, one of the good characters. The characters who were... So who, you like the Red Hood? I like the Red Hood. I'm not really fond of the, the vigilante type, you know, with the guns and everything. That's not something I like. But I do like the way he's linked to Batman. He's linked to all the other Robins. But he does not like Bruce. And he doesn't like Dick. But he kind of likes Damien. And he kind of feels for Tim. And he's still in this group, but he's not really in the group. And he'll be there, but he doesn't want to be there. But he'll be there. I, I just, I like that he's he's that guy. Yeah, he's the one, he's, he's been through it. Yeah. Did not appreciate it, he's, particularly. He's, he's the one who's going to question Batman in front of the others. Where Dick would probably go, you know, out back and talk to, and get slapped in the face. He'll confront Bruce up front, and that's what I like about him. Yeah, and he's questioned the method so much oh, yeah. that he is using guns. Yeah. He's breaking the bat rules. Well, basically. Yeah. Well, part of it is a rebellion, but I think yeah. that makes him a bit immature if that's his only uh, reason for doing it. I think it's also because he's questioned it and he's come up with a different answer. Yeah, I think true so. Batman. Uh, and he's always been a little more... Well, not always because he's very much changed as a character over the yeah. years, even as, as Robin. Very much so, he yeah. He was a, like an idealistic kid originally and then... They sort of reformatted him to be more of a more of a rebel and um, yeah someone who you know had problems with in the whole dynamic. But you bring an interesting point is that the dynamic between the bad characters uh, kind of puts the lie to Batman being a solo character or only working as a solo character. Oh, that's a total lie. Yeah, because in this era, Batman doesn't want to participate in the invasion because he is a solo act. He's just lost Robin. He's, you know, stinging from the loss. Yeah. And he's not uh, particularly uh, willing to work with others. He, you know, he, he left the Outsiders just as he left the Justice League. He doesn't have a partner anymore. And they're going to build him up as a solo character. Too dark to play with others. And yet, I think the Batman, the, uh, the more recent Batman, pre-New 52 Batman, had a whole family around him. It's um, still the case. And and those guys have relation not just relationships to Batman, but relationships between oh, one yeah. another, which oh, yeah. are very interesting. So once you change, you put any of the, those two together in the, the wider Batman family, and you'll get a different dynamic every time, which every is time. super interesting. Which is, which is actually a great... Sometimes just taking Batman out of the equation is the best part. Because uh, the dynamic between Tim and Grayson... They kind of have this mutual respect, but Tim is closer to Bruce in in style or in character than he is yeah, to... Smarter, to, too. Yeah. Grayson kind of knows that, but Grayson has the experience, so that's how they kind of balance themselves out. Right. It's the same thing. It's and I of, love the, like, the Batman... Dick as Batman with Damien was like the, a great oh, reversal of it was the great. usual Batman-Robin dynamic. And Robin questioning everything, even questioning his skills and, and everything. That was great. But you also see some very nice with Damien and Jason, where they both have this bloodlust. They both want to kill the bad guys. But they, they under well, they kind of understand when or how they should do it to not cross that line, but they do. They have that in common, but one of them, Damien, looks up to his dad, but Jason really doesn't. He, he does the exact opposite. And that's great. That dynamic is great. And Damien and Tim have this thing, too. I just love the Robins. Yeah. Because with, the Robins. With, and then Bad Girl. And, I mean, the, the you know. Well, yeah. Throw bad, bad Girl, throw in Alfred, throw in Gordon. You get a lot of these different dynamics, and they're all rather special and when when they're well written it's magic it's yes. and, and, and it's i think it's fun to write these things so they're always fun i think the bat family's fun to write a lot of people did really nice things with it oh yeah i think with all due respect to denny o'neill who is running the show at this point uh, even though he's not writing the issues i think batman to me at this in this era or in, through the 80s and 90s became interesting again uh, when tim drake was added to the Oh, the yeah. cast. Well, he's my favorite Robin. Me too, but I mean, it's a, well, I say that, yeah, yeah, he's my, yeah, he's my favorite, but Dick's very close behind. And well, um, you know what? I like Dick as Nightwing, and and I love yeah, Dick yeah. as Nightwing more as more than as Robin. Although yeah. I've been reading some old Batman Robin stories from I know, from before, and you know, before he joined the, the Teen Titans and kind of had a chip on his shoulder before he went to college. Yeah. Uh, the brightness of the, the the Robin character with like a lighter Batman made Batman lighter. 
is a lot of fun. And okay. I like that Batman. So in this era, I was very spotty with my Batman purchases. And once Tim came on board, I was intrigued by the new Robin, checked it out. And then I was I was basically chugging Batman books. I was reading four or five Batman books a month. Well, yeah. Uh, not counting reading the Robin series. And damn it, I just, I just, oh, I can't believe... I, I've been telling Shag, who has this theory about you having a Batman phase, and everybody's <laughs> yes. had a Batman phase. Everybody did. And I said, well, I didn't. I don't think I really had a Batman phase, but there was a, a part of my life where I bought a lot of Batman comics, and I wouldn't call it a Batman phase. I'd almost call it a Robin phase. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say because I was never really. Into... But I was still reading, you know, uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, where Robin isn't in it. But you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. nevertheless, I. To me, it was a Robin phase that turned into a Batman phase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's the same for me because I I never really... I have no Batman love particularly. Uh, Maybe because I'm a Superman guy and, you know, it's kind of light versus dark type thing. Mm. But I always did like uh, Dick Grayson because he had that light, that lightness to him, but still working in the shadows. And that's what I loved about him. He was like... Uh, the image of maybe, and quote-unquote, not really, but this image of Superman being in there with Batman. And that's what I always liked about Grayson. That's why I call him Grayson. I always call him Dick because, I, to me, Dick Grayson was more of the character than Robin was or Nightwing was. Mm. Um, I always think of him as Dick Grayson, which is a weird thing for a superhero. You never think of a superhero, a superhero as his alter ego. You know, you always think of him as the superhero, but not for some odd reason. Dick is always just... And he's had many identities. I think that's part of it. What identity does he have in this story? It always works. Well, in in my opinion, it always works. Whereas uh, Tim Drake, I always see him as Robin. Now as Red Robin, he's still Robin. He's still the smartest of the Robins. He's still the guy, I think, who he could take Batman down if he had to. I don't think Dick can. I don't think Damien can. I know Jason can. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I put my money on Tim Drake any day. Well, there you go. I didn't think we would like spend so many minutes on the Batman family. But I, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm well, kind of glad did. we did. Um, Green Arrow is another character that did not participate. Where is he? Where's well, Speedy? He was in the middle of a storyline as well Okay, called Moving Target. And he was changing into a violent vigilante. Uh, this is post-Longbow Hunters. So they sort of made him... Not a mature reader's title, but a gritty, much grittier title, uh, away from super, the superheroes of the DC universe. They even they even shunted him out of Star City and put him in Seattle. Oh, so wow. he was really more of a real world character at that point. Uh, Mike Grell, likely like uh, Denny O'Neill, didn't want Green Arrow in that re- very realistic world to smash into the, the larger than life superheroics. I'm guessing that's what happened. Could it have fit? Yes. I think you could have done something like Checkmate. I think you could have done something like what Batman uh, ultimately did. Mm -hmm. I think you could have aliens rushing away from the Justice League uh, in the South Pacific and reaching Seattle and sort of crash landing in Seattle and have a very gritty, you know, real world thing with Green Arrow in it. But uh, he didn't want to play ball or whatever. He he still (laughs) he didn't want to play darts, but he, he, he still could have fit. I'm totally on board with that. And it kind of is reminiscent of, uh, once again, I think this era hugely influenced what we see on TV and movies. Because mm-hmm. this is basically Green Arrow Season 1. Yeah. Yeah. Arrow Season 1 is Longbow Hunter's stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's very much what Mike Grell did with it. Mike Grell retold the origin even yeah. at that time. So it's become the iconic Green Arrow. But yeah. perhaps because Green Arrow, in the first place, didn't have a really strong identity. Uh, Green Arrow started as a Batman clone yeah. with an arrow cave and an arrow car and a yeah. uh, Speedy. As, and, uh, yeah, an arrow sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? I love Speedy. I love when he became Arsenal. It's one of those guys who came into his own. And I, I love that he was, you know, in this junky phase thing where, you know, you had to talk about drugs and stuff like that. Where they basically turned Green Arrow into that bleeding heart liberal yeah. justice warrior. Uh, type so now he's become a sort of he's a an, you know a combination of yeah. all of that he like the Arrow show yeah it's basically a Batman show it is you know he was a Batman show in all but name uh, but he's also a like Justice Warrior like the, yeah. the corporate guy who's trying to develop the he still becomes mayor yeah all of that from the comics <laughs> still becomes so, mayor yeah. and it's got that. That feel where, you know, without trick arrows originally. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? In the movies, like in the comics, 
I prefer the trick arrows. Me too, and um, I will say I prefer, not on live action necessarily, but in the comics, I prefer Hawkeye at Marvel uh, over Green Arrow. Oh, that's, um, that I can't agree with you. I, Hawkeye is uh, potentially my favorite Marvel character. Well, in the movies, I love him. No, well, in the movies, whatever. But <laughs> like him. He's just okay in the movies. Uh, underdeveloped is what, is well, what yeah. that character is. Oh, yeah. But uh, in the comics, I love I love Hawkeye. Green Arrow though has more longevity and he's you know he's more often in charge well, of his own comic and yeah and he was basically Robin Hood basically he was basically basically Robin and Hood. I like him in um, the Brave and the Bold cartoon yeah 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 he's great he's, in there. and this is he's the the golden age type yeah with the red gloves yeah, yeah. and he's basically and he doesn't really they don't really shy from the the fact that he's a Batman clone. yeah it's it's a rivalry yeah. it's funny and that's why we like uh, some moments on on the TV show in the arrow show where they actually you know they they wink at the the Batman clone thing where you know Felicity what do we call you we call you uh Oracle or you know, Overwatch. We'll, we'll do Overwatch. So they, they kind of play <laughs> yeah. with that also. And, you know. Yeah, it's... and they set him up against Ra's al Ghul. And, yeah. Uh, so there's some... We know it's Batman. Yeah, we don't shy away from it. And, and I think that's fine. You can't shy away from it. You just embrace it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what the Brave and the Bold show did. Oh, yeah. By making them clash. Yeah. Be, making them be, like, frenemies. Yeah. Or... <laughs> They're frenemies, except for that one uh, that one show where they go against Mongol. And this it's this weird race thing and they go against mongol and they work as a team so beautifully so beautifully i just love that one. yeah but they're the same character they're so, the same. Yeah, yeah exactly so uh that's green arrow hellblazer is a, well hellblazer is no surprise but you know we got swamp thing yeah so why not another mature readers title in this case he was also in the middle of a, a longer storyline called okay. the fear machine the mature readers much more out of the superhero sphere you know constantine has an in-story reason because he was sort of like in in those issues he was playing a hippie in the woods with old friends so you know they're doomed um <laughs> and he has a beard and the long hair and he's, he's tripping out and i think he's outside of society so i don't think they did that on purpose but it's it's a good excuse in story when you say well if during the invasion he was tripping out in the woods yeah <laughs> he was high on peyote <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly in the woods of uh, England somewhere. And this is way before John Custine would become like a, a player in superhero elements. Yeah. He, he almost never crossed over with anyone else in the DC universe. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, and but we do have to mention him because he's such a big player now. Yeah, yeah. I so mean, just to show that at that time, uh, which was like uh, issue 14, 15, something like that. You know, it's very early yet. Are you a fan of, of Constantine? You know what? I kind of just discovered him lately. Oh, yeah. I, I at that time I didn't know what it was. I did hear about Hellblazer and and how it was a mature reader thing and and it was uh, and it lasted like ten years. Yeah, and it lasted a long time and it was great. And I didn't. And Keanu Reeves tried. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he can only try, right? He can only try, but he, he's not alone. Whoa! Right? I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a bucket of water. I need a cat. But you know, I it's he tried. And it's not his fault because he does great things like John Wick. So, you know, we can't blame him. I didn't really know about it. Back then, I I wasn't really open to anything other than superhero books. I'm barely open now. But uh, but I do try. And, uh, and I would probably read a lot more Hellblazer now than I did ever. Right now, I think uh, Hellblazer is kind of a entry level for supernatural superhero type stuff. You're going to, you know, get into the gritty stuff with uh, Hellblazer. Originally, like in this era, I had a friend who was um, uh, collecting Hellblazer. Okay. And uh, I read a lot of his issues. Hellblazer was uh, like originally written by Jamie Delano and I, I never really warmed to his writing. I, I've read a lot of his stuff, but eh. I was left me cold kind of thing, but he really did set that tone for the book and how every friend sort of has to die or get his soul sold to the devil. He did that, but all my favorite issues were always in that era were written by someone else. So there's like a a Neil Gaiman issue that's terrific. There's a couple of Grant Morrison two-part that I own for this era. So I only really got into it when Garth Ennis started writing it. And... um, uh, that's that's the bit that they use in the movies where he gets cancer and gets the cancer sucked out of him by a you know by signing a deal with the devil that actually screws the devil over. Yeah. So that's from that 
original story arc. And then I read it through for, for a long, long while after that. Uh, but I really got into it with Garth Ennis, which might be heresy to some Hellblazer readers. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it could be. But um, what I remember from Hellblazer, it was it was kind of in that same category as, you know, the Game in Sandman, where a lot of people liked it. And when you're into tights and capes, that's not really your jam. And it wasn't my jam. And the last one here um, from the street level not participating uh, in Invasion um, category is The Question. The Question. Uh, he was also in the middle of a um, story arc called Election Day, and it's uh, an election, it's a hub city election. Uh, of course, it's corrupt, and I mean, that, that was a very, very gritty street-level book where the question was redesigned as a violent Zen Buddhist kind of thing. Uh, but this one was written by Denny O'Neill, so if you didn't want Batman, who he was just editing, to participate in Invasion, you can you can understand he would not want to write any Invasion stories. Yeah. I, I think that's what we can take away from it. Yeah. Although, it would be great to have the question in there. Yeah. To oh, ask the questions. To ask the questions. And, well, I, I'm wondering, I haven't read a whole lot of the question from this era. Books were not available to me. But, I mean, it's well regarded. Yeah. Certainly. But to me, the question has sort of, I almost don't want to because of the Just League Unlimited cartoon where the question was so uh, fun. Yeah. You know, the conspiracy theorist. And I think that's part of this version of the character. Uh, and we seem to have lost the question since then. You know, they, they've turned uh, Rene Montoya into the question. Yeah. And whatever. Uh, but the Vic Sage question, who was a conspiracy theorist from the cartoon, seems to me the most viable, the most interesting, the most fun version of that character. And that's the character I would want to read about. Yeah, me Not too, any of the others. Not the Ayn Rand-fueled uh, <laughs> original version from uh, Ditko. Not Rorschach. Reaching back to ancient Egypt, there's been a single cabal of powerful individuals directing the course of human history. But the common man prefers to believe they don't exist, which aids their success. Global warming, military upheavals in the third world, actors elected to public office. The spread of coffee bars, germs outpacing antibiotics, and boy bands? Come on. Who would gain from all this? Who indeed? That one. The Jeffrey yeah. Coombs voiced question. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. I agree. He's the he's the most fun. I mean, because he, he, he could be this conspiracy theorist, but he could make a lot of sense. And and in maybe his mind is all filled with questions and, and semi-answers, but he could also ask the right questions at the right time, and that would be fun. So uh, next time we talk about this, which will be in a little while, mm -hmm. we'll talk about the other books. There are other books yeah. that did not make it into Invasion. Uh, but uh, but these four, and maybe uh, you have ideas on how you could make that happen, leave them in the comments. Uh, speaking of comments, we have letters from the front. We'll get to that next. Warlord Worlds a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, Star Slayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. Join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. Letters from the front! Letters from the front! These are all letters about Invasion Number 2, Ooh. the 80-page blockbuster. That's a Big book. That's a big that book. That was a big book, and it brought in some comments. But the, the conversation is always going on on a lot of these uh, stories, so you can always join in. Exactly. Yeah. So um, let's see. Uh, Chris Franklin here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network site. That's fireandwaterpodcast.com. Which is a great place to have this conversation. Uh, he says, I remember that Dead Man uh, reveal. Being really sweet, it also took me aback as one of our heroes made a guy commit suicide. Certainly, the means justified the ends in this case, but it's interesting that Deadman makes Batman kill Devil Ray on JLU later. 
and it's a big bit of angst on both of their parts. Uh, wasn't a big fan of Giffen during the pseudo-Maguire phase. It was better than his elongated head, heavy blacks phase, but I call this his fat head period. Everyone looks like they are scrunching their heads down into their necks. I lamented the loss of the early Legion Giffen. Keith Giffen is really this uh, polarizing artist because yeah. he's had so many different styles. I I really appreciate that he evolved across time and tried new things and said, well, I'm just going to reinvent myself. And he did that like three, four times. So, Which is great. Yeah, I like that. And uh, a lot of people like that porcelain doll, Steve Lytle-esque slick look from the early Legion books. Okay. But I think it depends when you discovered him. And I like the ambush bug stuff where it's like really dark blacks and super close-ups when you don't even know what you're looking at and uh well you're, you're i like that whole area you like that you I like, like the experimentalism you know? well you're very open to that kind of stuff but if you're you like clean lines i mean yeah i understand i understand um but in this era is it's like a middle ground okay i think he's you know it's it was very very clear what you were looking at and it wasn't as obscure as his former work or as sketchy as his later work there you go. But the fat head phase, that's a funny thing to say. Thank you, Chris. Uh, David is Gutierrez says, uh, well, he, I used two Queen songs, and he's wondering if I'm trying to curry favor with him. <laughs> I am not, and um, anyone who follows any conversations between me and David will realize that I am not currying favor with him because uh, we're always fighting about my terrible opinions. Oh, well, then. Uh, which just means his are immature. <laughs> All right. I'll have to read that then. Uh, he says, uh, this issue has a pretty badass Aquaman drawn by McFarlane. I do wonder how our esteemed Mr. Kelly, Aqua Rob, feels about this. And we'll find out shortly. He also asked, you know, we, we there was all these characters. Uh, there was like a character in Shadow and a couple yeah. of characters. We couldn't decide who they were in the, yeah, in yeah. the Suicide Squad. And spot. there's this one, it's just a shadow. Yeah. It seems like somebody drew in somebody else and then they just blackened it. Yeah. Out. He know. wonders if it's uh, Count Vertigo in the cape. Well, it Count Vertigo. Well, Count Vertigo had just joined the, the Suicide Squad. Okay, yeah. With the big cape and the, the circles in it. Yeah, yeah but it's it. not the same cut of cape. He has yeah. like a sort of frilly, almost shredded cape at the bottom. In a yeah, he doesn't have this big collar all sort of. And he has his hair is exposed in his mask. So this was like a, like a bald head, mm -hmm. really. And he doesn't have the gloves. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So it can't be him. It can't be Vertigo. Uh, let's see what Rob Kelly said about McFarlane's Aquaman. I think you can guess what my general feelings are considering the comments I've made about Todd McFarlane's work in the past. No one looks like they have any bones. They're just bags of mush. Though I do enjoy that if you look closely at Aquaman in the group shot, it would appear he's got yellow gloves. How did the Golden Age Aquaman end up in Invasion? Well, how did the Silver Age Hawkman wind up in Invasion? The crisis is never over, guys. Uh, he also says, I've never understood why or how Bill Pullman's speech in Independence Day has become so iconic. And I used it at the top of the show. Every time I've heard it play, it sounds like so incredibly lame. Though since that movie's charms elude me, maybe that's understandable. Yeah, it is. You should be charmed by that movie. I am not charmed by the movie. But the Pullman uh, speech. But the Pullman speech, yeah. I think, works in isolation. And I think Pullman's face has a lot to play. If you just hear it, you know, but... How Pullman has to, you know, as president, try to rally the troops against this invasion of aliens. Well, this is just... But I agree, the movie is destruction porn. <laughs> Star Wars ripoffs for no reason. Hey, 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 Will Smith is in there and he's great. He Will kicks... Smith is flying the, the X-Wing yeah. through a canyon. I mean, okay. And then uh, there's the ridiculous, of course, the off-touted ridiculous Mac virus. And yeah. then, and then... <laughs> The bit where people in France yeah. just go, finally, the Americans are doing something or whatever. It's like, <laughs> you know, oh, my God. You know what the worst thing about that movie is? Harry Connick Jr. never sings. He oh, should sing. I agree with that. I, I absolutely agree with that. He should sing at least a couple bars. Yeah, I think it would have been a throwback to those old B movies, those old sci-fi movies where all, someone always breaks out into song. Uh, like, I uh, know. Giant Gilla monster. You know, and, and they had they had the opportunity because they were in the shower. They were in the shower and, and he was... First time we see him, he's coming out of the shower and, just, and he, he could, could have been sung. He could have been singing. Yeah. There An you old go. Elvis song or something. Well, there you go. Have you seen the new one? The new no, one? I don't. I don't. Neither have I or will I. <laughs> uh, related, he also says, this is still Rob Kelly, related, I am never sure how I feel about anyone reappropriating the Iwo Jima Memorial for a commercial venture. Sometimes I think I'm being too stiff. Other times it seems offensive. I don't know. 
Uh, I think it's that... a tribute to art. I mean, it's not. Oh, that's the, uh, the like the cover. The cover, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe because you're American. Uh, to me, that was just like a nice, a nice thing to do. It doesn't really touch me. In, no one's any... been doing. Um, I don't know, spoofing the um, the Last Supper by Da Vinci, or yeah, yeah, or something like I that. Mean, uh, you you guys did a great job covering a mammoth book in very listenable running time. I will point Shag towards this particular episode when he needs pointers for synopsizing comics. Yes, please do. <laughs> Poor Shag. Uh, Ryan Daly from Nightcast says, What a fool I was to think I could view the scan pages you posted from this issue and presume to identify the three characters with the Suicide Squad that you couldn't name. Best guess? The artist just made up three random designs to fill in space. (laughs) (laughs) My theory is that it's a superhero from another... Somebody like Thor or something like that, or Vision. And they, they said, yeah, no, you can't do that. For but, the, the the one in Shadow, for sure. Yeah, but they, they had Spider-Man in the other one, you know, in the group shot, and nobody said a word. But, you know. Yeah, that's true. Um, maybe that was, like, a step too far. Maybe it was just too obvious. And I'm not sure they would be McFarland designs. They're not, they don't have any overwrought capes. I, yeah, yeah. They're not true. extreme enough. Uh, Leslie Trigg says, could Dead Man be at the summit? This is an interesting one. Could Dead Man be at the summit? Like the big superhero summit? Look at the scientist at the bottom. He has a glow around him. He is there. Huh? He's so there. Confirmed. Con- he is there. He's one of the scientists. He's like the one closest to us. Yeah. Uh, right in the bottom corner, uh, you know, behind Oberon. I would, I, I uh, will defend this point till my dying breath. Great job, Leslie. Well uh, done. We missed it. Our bad. We were looking through that, that big crowd and missed uh, the most important hero of the batch. Exactly. Out. Exactly. Yeah. I was I was counting the Rocket Reds when I should have seen this. Incredible. You win a uh, first strike award, whatever that is. Uh, Jeff R says I think the blonde flyer uh, is the Yellow Perry. A lot of people think that's like the somehow the Yellow Perry, which is like a Superboy villain in, in the Suicide Squad. Show. Okay. She was not part of the continuity at this point. Doesn't mean they didn't have a Yellow Perry, or it's just like a reference to that former continuity. I'm not convinced. Not yellow enough. Um, I'd say Firefly for the moth-like one, which is also my thought. And for the last, it's McFarlane, so maybe Obsidian uh, from the Infinity Inc. Uh, if it was blacked out in post, maybe it was Major Victory originally. We still don't know. So My, my first guess was Obsidian just because he was just black. Yeah, he would turn into Shadow. Yeah. That makes complete sense. And you know what? If it wasn't that this was a... There are no other Infinitors. Yeah. It's just Suicide Squad. Um, then that would make perfect sense. As is, it's like, what, what's he doing there? Yeah. And does it mean there are non-Suicide Squad characters in the shot, which might open up who those mystery characters might be? But I still don't know who they were. Killing the Omega Men, which was a, a thing that was... It's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Killing the Omega Men was pretty unnecessary and gratuitous. They never really were galaxy-scale police forces like the Green Lantern Corps had been, or Legion, and Dark Stars would go on to be in their absence. They were just a space opera set in the sprawling Vega system. And Legion would never end up doing anything in Vega, really. They just wanted to get rid of him. I still think that was maybe the, 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 the impetus for doing it. But maybe it just turned out not to be necessary. It's like, oh, we killed these characters for no reason. After a couple of years, we're still not doing anything with Vega. Eh? Oh, yeah, I guess we shouldn't have killed the Omega Men then. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. It kind of feels like that. You can just cancel a book. And not kill them off. And you know how we've been uh, uh, waiting for news from Australia. Yeah. Uh, wondering if Paul Hicks from Waiting for Doom was okay. Is he okay? Finally reporting in. Oh, boy. Hey, guys. Australia reporting in. Things were pretty hairy down here for a while, but we were able to rebuild. In Melbourne, a cafe was erected for every person who died. <laughs> Kudos to Siskoid for pronouncing Melbourne correctly once this ep. Am I saying it right now? I don't know. Is Melbourne... I always read it Melbourne. Melbourne? Yeah, but I don't know if that's... Melbourne? Melbourne? I don't know. I'm trying to channel my inner Tegan Jovanka. (laughs) (laughs) Melbourne? Melbourne? Anyway. um, Obviously, we have accents. So do you. Might. (laughs) Let us end then on Facebook likes and shares. That way we know that Paul is okay. Abadaba, Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics, Corey Hodgden, Daniel Budnick, who called the episode killer. Oh, wow. David S. Gutierrez, David Foster, D. Bash, Derek William Crabb, Jack Dower, Jason Pope, Jeffrey Brown, John Grenier, Jonathan Furness, Leslie Hall Trigg III, Marianne Peacock, Mike Peacock, 
Robert Ward, Ryan Daly, Sam Lowe, Shag Matthews, who loved our thoughts on the art, Van Z, and Zoom Yukinori. And then on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Ali Bats, Austin Kukiendal, Bad Touch, Dr. Light. <laughs> Try to like your handle. Uh, Cash Flag, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, Daniel R. Budnick, David Is Gutierrez, Film and Water Podcast, Griff, Joe Crawford, Keith G. Baker, Connell, Let's Talk Motu, Longbox Crusade, Michelle Fief, uh, who called uh, this uh, Invasion Number 2 an immaculate issue. Wow. McFarlane drawing the original squad is a plus. I doubt the mystery member is anything more than an in-joke or a goof. Nerd News, Pod Dylan, Rolled Spine Podcast, Simon GBU43, who first started reading DC Comics with this crossover because oh, he wow. grew up as a Marvel kid before then. Wow, that's hmm. cool. Shadowhawk, The Aquaman Shrine, The Bad Pod, Treasury Comics, and Willie Yarborough. Thank you all for uh, supporting and sharing the podcast. Thank you very much. As usual, please leave comments of your own about this uh, this episode or any other at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Fire and Water Podcast Facebook page or on Twitter, the hashtag is Podcasts. Next time on First Strike the Invasion Podcast, Firestorm number 81 and Power of the Atom number 8. Just the way you are